Welcome to Beneath the Wing. Just like air passing over the wing of an aircraft provides lift, the people we meet can also give us lift in life by sharing their stories of strength and success, connecting us all. Beneath the Wing explores the stories of those connected with the Minnesota Air National Guard's 133rd Airlift Wing with a little humor and learning along the way. I'm your host, Wing Command Chief Mark Legfold. Joining me today on Beneath the Wing is Brigadier General Sandy Best. She started out enlisted at the 133rd Airlift Wing here in Minnesota and has worked her way all the way up to our Joint Force Headquarters and has a great job at the Pentagon, which we're going to learn a little bit more about. So welcome, General Best. Thank you very much, Chief. So you started out as an enlisted member at the 133rd, and you've moved all the way up to General Officer. What was that journey like for you? It has been a fantastic journey, and there's none of it that I wouldn't repeat if given that opportunity. Beginning with my seven years enlisted as a personnelist, and then moving into a variety of positions. I was first commissioned as a military equal opportunity officer, um, have held a variety of positions at the wing, squadron, group, and now Joint Force Headquarters, and it's been a great journey. Awesome. There are all kinds of levels of our organization. So um, what was the most meaningful to you, your first stripe, your NCO, becoming an officer as a lieutenant, or making general officer, and why? That, though, I think all of them were important, and the most important, I couldn't have done any of them without those stepping stones. So I still have to say all of them. And I think they help grow you to become a general officer. So certainly starting from the very beginning, the first stripe, um, and all the people that you meet along the way that help grow you into a general officer. Don't get here on your own. Fantastic. Uh, who would you consider a mentor of yours throughout that you know, long and distinguished career? I'm sure you've had a lot of people make a big impact. Who made the biggest impact for you? Oh, so many. So hard to answer this question, but a lot of enlisted leaders to include Chief Thompson from Civil Engineering Squadron became um, one of our senior enlisted advisors at the 133rd, Chief Himmer. Because um, I remember uh, Todd Thompson when I was in civil engineering as well. Uh, tell me something about him that made him someone special and important to you in your growth and development. Yeah, I think because he believed in me before I believed in myself. And so all of the leaders that I could list, and the list is so long that... I think individuals who get on that list is because they believe in you before you believe in yourself. Is that a good quality of a leader? Yes, that's a very good quality. Sometimes it's tough, though, for us to want to believe in someone um, so much, uh, and yet they fall short in our eyes, and sometimes we have to self-correct and self-correct them and, and convey that message of, I really believe in you and you're disappointing me. How do you do that? I think that that is a great skill. In fact, just was at lunch today talking with people about that and saying, I think the most important leadership trait is telling people what they're not doing well instead of talking about it behind their backs. 
I think that direct skill and be able to do it with diplomacy and respect and people really like to hear that to include myself. Mm -hmm. In Minnesota we don't really do that so super well do we? Not always. It's no. a struggle for me too. <laughs> um, so when you make general officer like I said it's kind of a big deal. Do you ever get tired of people being nice to you all the time? I don't get tired of people being nice to me because <laughs> I think that that is the best way to be in team um, team relationships. Yeah. And so being nice is a quality that I respect and admire, but that doesn't mean that you can't have hard conversations. Yeah. And I think you can do that with um, respect and kindness as well. That's great. I'm nice to you because I like you and I've known you for a really, really long time. <laughs> Thank you. And, and you know, even though you're someone that outranks me, tremendously uh, being nice is easy when you feel like you have an authentically kind and caring relationship how do we develop caring relationships in the military that are authentic over time yeah I think that you do it by example and I think the 133rd airlift wing which I have uh, my roots are from all the way to present 37 years in the military nearly and I have done that by leadership throughout, and you learn a little bit from all of them. That's how I think you do it, by mentorship, sponsorship, and coaching. Mentorship, sponsorship, and coaching. Tell me more about sponsorship. Sponsorship is individuals who have access to power in the organization, and individuals that are trying to um, grow up in the organizations and move into leadership positions, I think need sponsors. Sometimes people don't know about them. And so sponsors help get those people um, FaceTime with the right people to help grow their careers. Being someone else's champion. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And you get a chance to do that. Yes. You are Minnesota's Deputy Adjutant General. Yes. Sounds like an awesome job. Lots of power. What exactly is that job? Well, the Deputy Adjutant General really is doing whatever the Adjutant General doesn't want to do or what he would like me to do. Um, it does involve oversight of the two wings on a full-time basis, but of course we have two great wing commanders and a lot of great leaders um, in their chain, so that means that I really get to do a lot of things that I like to do, and we have a new Adjutant General, and it seems like we are developing that um, dance as we go on what he's going to be doing and what I'm going to be doing. Um, but right now, it means that I am involved in our diversity initiatives for the Minnesota National Guard. I'm also involved in our COVID-19 response and, of course, still involved in um, administrative actions that are associated with Joint Force Headquarters. A lot of networking relationships and communication, isn't it? Yes, it is. For sure. Um, like a lot of people, uh, you juggle jobs. Uh, you are a, a guard, guard member, um, part-time and full-time. So one of your, what your other job is as the chief of the, advisor to the chief of the National Guard on Diversity and Inclusion. You told us a little bit about what the uh, Deputy Adjutant General does. What does that job do? The Special Assistant to the Chief of the National Guard Thanks. Bureau. I got it wrong, now I'm right, okay. <laughs> on diversity and inclusion really is helping 
to advance diversity and inclusion across the 54 states, territories, and District of Columbia. And that is working with our National Guard Bureau Office of Equity and Inclusion and all of our state's adjutant generals and their SEAMs and diversity and inclusion OICs, if they have them. Um, it's really a different job on every day, but really advancing that and following the civil disturbance issues that have been going on after the death of George Floyd. Um, it certainly has gained even more attention and I'm really thrilled to be a part of that conversation for the DOD and the National Guard. It's definitely a conversation worth having. So let's talk a little bit about diversity and inclusion. Okay. What does that look like in action? And if you want to break that conversation into two parts, diversity in action and inclusion in action, or you can just answer it holistically depending on where you want to go. Yeah, so, sure. Well, first of all, I want to say that I think I was selected for this position by General Engel because Minnesota is really doing a lot of good work in this area. So I want to say, what does it look like? It looks like Minnesota National Guard's Diversity and Inclusion Program, which is modeled after the National Guard's strategic plan. And that is why I think I was um, selected for this position. I think we're doing a lot of good work to include things like our benchmark women's leadership program, which really was a game changer for us. We call that our anchor event. We are very proud of it. We have states that are lining up to meet with us and come to Minnesota to learn about the things that we're doing. It also includes things like our Joint Officer Enlisted TAG Advisory Council, where we are inviting airmen and soldiers at our lowest levels, officers and enlisted, to be a part of this conversation and tell us why did they join the Minnesota National Guard, what it's going to take to keep them, and what are some problems they're experiencing and then helping to solve those problems. It's about inviting our entire organization, 13,000 strong soldiers, airmen, and civilian employees to be a part of that conversation to help change our culture to be inclusive. And it's inclusive for everyone. So although we're talking about diverse members, that is should not be a threat to our majority population either because inclusion includes them as well. We were talking yesterday, my boss and I were listening in on a virtual meeting that you were a part of, and one of the questions that was posed to the people in the audience was, uh, what, are we, what are we doing right? And but he and I, just having that conversation, I, I reflected a moment, I said, we are getting right having these conversations because we're purposeful about having conversations about diversity and inclusion. And I think a lot of people think, okay, this is just the way we are in Minnesota. This must be the way everybody is. But it's, it's not that way in, in, the, in the Guard as a whole. So are we getting it right in the Guard as a whole, in the National Guard across the, the states? I think we still have lots of room for progress, even right here in Minnesota. And I think there's areas that we're getting it better than other areas. But this is not a one and done conversation, as you're talking about. And it really is continuing to make it part of our culture. I think 
our journey is going on 10 years right now. We started tracking and really doing deliberate measurements in 2010, where we were just over 7% diverse as a Minnesota National Guard. We are currently at 20% diversity, which meets our local demographics here in Minnesota. Define diversity. Diversity. If we're measuring it at 20%. 20% is our underrepresented population non-Caucasian okay. in the Minnesota National Guard. That um, claims to be, because that's a self-elected um, statistic itself, you know, how you put yourself, but that is based on the national definition of African-American, Caucasian, Native American. Um, I don't know that we really want to go into defining all of that as a... um, We're basically looking at ethnicity as a measurement for diversity. Yes, racial and ethnic diversity. Understood. That is it, yes. Great, thank you. Um, So I asked if we're getting it right in the guard. Yes. We're moving in the right direction. I think we're moving in the right direction. And I think even right here, we know we've got to do better. And part of the state Joint Diversity Executive Council is to try, yesterday we participated in an exercise where our leaders within the Minnesota National Guard are helping us identify what are we doing well and where do we need to improve mm-hmm. so that we can make it unique to Minnesota. And that's what we're doing really across the 54. Every state has different strengths and different areas that they need to focus on because their demographics change from state to state as well. Certainly. Are we getting it right in the military beyond the National Guard, which is this collective of different state organizations? But when you take the huge melting pot of a military across our entire country, uh, are we getting it right in the military? I think the military experiences the same challenges as corporate America, private sector. And so what I would say is, just like on any other issue, the military often leads the way with change. I think that is the same thing you'll see. Immediately following the the civil disturbance across the U.S., the Secretary of Defense stood up a diversity um, board to look at this. And Minnesota ensured that we had a primary and an alternate that was put in for every one of those categories. And we were fortunate to get um, over, I think we have probably five people participating at the national level right now in this conversation. And it's a small group of people when you compare it to the whole of the DOD, every component. Yes, it is. And we have a Minnesota National Guard airman from the 133rd, Master Sergeant Todd, Mm -hmm. that is on that board. So very cool. And then we have others, too, from the Army National Guard that are participating. So um, I think that what the work they're doing, and then the Air Force stood up their own called um, Diversity and Inclusion Board, and then the Army stood up one that's called Project Inclusion. And I think that we are, as an organization, institution, making headway. It's not over yet, though, because even here in Minnesota, we have a um, we can bring in a lot of diversity, and we can even get them to our mid-level. But the real test of time is going to be growing our diverse members to senior leadership positions. It's a, it's a struggle and a challenge to get 
our members in the door, get them trained up and keep them. And I, I think corporate America, you brought up how corporate America will struggle with this issue, but they also struggle with retaining the best and the brightest within their, um, within their roles. So uh, I think you're absolutely right. Active duty struggles with the, the same kind of things that a large corporation struggles with. So if someone's listening that um, is part of that corporate America struggle, hey, we've got some good assets here in the military that uh, we're working on getting it right, I think. When will your job as a special a special assistant to the Chief of the National Guard on diversity and inclusion go away. When are we done? That position will not go away. That position will be replaced by with new, fresh ideas from across our formation. And it's a two-year assignment. So for me, I will end my tour in March of this next year. And I am sure that they are already um, lining up some exceptional people who are waiting in line to take that on because diversity and inclusion is for every organization um, the secret recipe that can help make a good organization great and we have already been a part of that conversation here in the Minnesota National Guard so I think we certainly are a great organization and we can only get better by including uh, and continuing these discussions. So I'm going to ask you that same question but just in a little bit different way. Okay. When won't that position be needed anymore? That's kind of like saying when won't human resources be needed because if we had the ability to um, manage our people without having any issues, I think we wouldn't need human resource functions. Um, that's the same with diversity, inclusion, quality, safety. You still need some oversight to make sure we're getting it right. Mm -hmm. But I do think that um, it could be less people could be involved. The position would go away when every airman, soldier, member of the military makes it their own. That's perfect. As soon as we start owning it, and it's a part of our culture, then it doesn't need the oversight, does it? That, that's, that would be the ideal answer. And, you know, it's hard right now to think when that will be because we've had struggles in these areas for years, you mm -hmm. know, back to race relations. And it's been an evolution. And they've talked a little bit about the DOMI, Defense Equal Opportunity Management Institute, and how they've gone from race relations to equal opportunity, and the new way they're trying to look at getting after this is cultural change. So cultural change, and, and I'm glad you brought up the, uh, the idea of this position evolving and the idea of diversity and inclusion evolving. I had a conversation with a young lady in our organization. She's early in her career, a person of color, and a different faith background than most of us. And she's felt like a lot of leadership development doors have opened up for her because of diversity initiatives or good intentions in inclusion. And yet she really wants to just feel she was chosen based on her merit, character, and work ethic. As leaders in our organization, how do we respond to an individual's feelings of people still just look at the external of me? How do we respond to that? 
That's an excellent question, astute of that young airman. I would say to not worry about it, to spend more time on just being your authentic self and surrounding yourself with leaders who recognize your capability. You will always have individuals who believe in you. You will always have naysayers who question if you were selected because you were a female or because of the potential um, racial or ethnic background. I wouldn't worry about it. I would just keep on being the best airman you can and making a difference in our organization. We have been talking with Brigadier General Sandy Best, and we're going to take a quick break with a very important message, and we will be right back. Are you interested in learning more about why staying with the Air National Guard is great for you? This is Sergeant Piazza with the Retention Office, and I'm inviting you to join me for lunch virtually every drill weekend, Saturday and Sunday, from 11 to noon. It's the same topic both days, but a different topic every month. The Zoom meeting ID and passcode can be found in your unit's newsletter, as well as the retention private group on the recruiting's Facebook page. I'll see you there. Okay, we're back with Brigadier General Sandy Best, and we've we got sidetracked. I have to admit, when we broke for commercials, and we were just sitting here. I am sitting on the fifth floor of our uh, where all the people work that are head of our organization here at Joint Force Headquarters, and we're overlooking the state capitol, and we're six feet apart, and uh, just got lost in some really good conversation about big issues and little issues, and what's the best job in the guard. And, uh, you know, being around people and being able to have good, friendly conversations is the best part of the, the guard, I think. Do you agree? I 100% agree. And to elaborate a little further, we were talking about the wings and how much value there is being part of the operations at the wing. And um, that is where you grow the most and it helps prepare you for all the future opportunities to include at Joint Force Headquarters. Every time I've heard you come back down to the wing, I don't want to say down, every time I've heard you come back to the wing, which is a smaller organization than the big Joint Force Headquarters, um, or a subordinate organization, maybe that's the right way, you've always talked about um, coming, kind of coming home. This is where I started. This is where... This is, your heart is at, where the people are. Um, do you still feel that way, even though you've been out of the wing for a while? Yes, indeed I do. I mean, of course, the wing is, it's, it made me. It made me who I am. It taught me about my, the mission and what the wings, the, all the different functions across the wing do. So yes, it's always like coming home when you get back out there. And I have broadened my perspective at Joint Force Headquarters and, of course, worked more with the Army National Guard, so gotten to know a little bit about soldiers, but um, always loving coming back to the wing. So you've had lots of different jobs and careers, and coming home is always fun. Yes, it is. Um, but sometimes there are these memories, and we all have them. The Guard will, you get the, the greatest of great days. And then there are some of those that are just terrible, awful, hard, uh, gut-wrenching, heartbreaking days. 
Um, and I'm sure you don't get to where you are without having those kinds of days. What's the worst or the most difficult thing you've had to deal with in your career? And what did you do to get through that? Well, I would say certainly ORIs, Operational Readiness Inspections. That's where we go away and play war. Yes. And those were not always a piece of cake. But what was the most challenging? I think it is when you're in conflict with people. At least that's for me is when I'm in conflict with people because I'm in most harmony when I my relationships are strong and solid. That doesn't mean you always have to be in agreement with people, but those are the most challenging days for me. And I think you, how I overcame that was just working to resolve those relationship issues. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be best friends with everybody that you have relationship issues with. However, I do think it... Um, can be respectful and that you can get the job done and that you can determine like left and right boundaries. And that helps me move on and other individuals move on too. So that's, I guess, the most challenging would be when I'm in conflict with people and what can I do to resolve it. Does rank help? Rank doesn't always help. You know, I think that I have more conflict at my level than I did throughout my career because um, you're really going to bat for issues that we need, whether it's resources or people or other things that people have very strong opinions about. So there, I think rank, um, it, it just comes with rank. More conflict comes with rank, and you have to get more comfortable with that conflict. And um, yeah, that's where I'll leave it. Yeah, and yet you seem so... You, feel, you know where balance is for you, and, and that is when that relationship is intact. And yet there, there can be good conflict in a relationship, and balancing that is it's really, really hard. I, I think it people like you and I kind of have the same uh, way that our heart is driven, where we, want everybody, we just want everybody to be friends, get along, care about <laughs> one another, and just get that. Yes. And sometimes that's really, really hard. And it, it, like I said, it can break your heart. It is hard. And balance of life is hard too. And so when you're balancing your home life and your work life, I just would like to throw that in, although you didn't ask the question. Balance helps with that. So when things are going well at home, it makes it easier when things aren't going well at work. And vice versa. Mm -hmm. When things aren't going well at home, it makes it easier when things are going um, well at work. So what do you do to balance home and work? Because you got two jobs in the military, you probably could use three more, but also keeping things balanced at home. What's something that you would recommend to other people to keep that balance? Well, first is to recognize that you are not perfect and it's okay that you have good days and bad days and that you just accept that and that you don't try to be perfect. And you just accept some days you're going to not be your your best at home or at work. So I think that helps. And I think that you just have to be deliberate about going home on time. 
um, eating dinner with your family when you can. Now, you can't always do that because the demands of the mission might change it. But when you can, you need to go home and do those kind of things. You can always turn the computer back on later at night when your family's asleep or things like that. So I think balance, I think avocation, doing fun things, making time for people that you serve with and outside of the organization. That's, those, that's been really hard with, with COVID and and making time for people that we serve with and spending that good time. Um, I, I, did, I didn't mean to interrupt you on that, but wow, we've had some challenges connecting and keeping those relationships intact is mm -hmm. a struggle for all of us. What have you done that's creative in that aspect to keep those relationships intact, even though we can't do like we're doing where we're sitting eye to eye? I mean, six feet apart is six feet apart, but we're able to make eye contact and talk where we haven't been able to do that in quite a while. Has that been a struggle for somebody that's heart-driven like you are? I think it's really important to still touch our airmen and to whether that is reaching out to them with phone calls, um, weekly meetings, the people that are working virtually right now, we make sure we, we have touch points. And then we do celebratory things, like if somebody completes their CCAF, making sure that we celebrate that achievement or promotions, even when it has to be virtual and small in number, you can still do some celebratory things. And I think that really helps the tough days too. I agree. One of the coolest things that I, I watched uh, early in COVID and early in, in us getting used to doing things differently is I watched our, uh, some of our airmen get promoted in their living room on camera with their whole squadron still there. The whole organization was still there, uh, but they were able to be there with their family. And I thought, you know, if any organization ought to do this really, really well, it's us. I, I agree. Yeah. And I think the Air National Guard is really good at those kind of creative, innovative options to celebrate our airmen. So let's do some quick questions. Okay. And and there's rules with this little, little game that we do on the podcast, and that is I'm going to ask a question, and you get like a one- or two-word answer, and then we move on really, really quick. Okay. Um, so first thing that comes to, to, to your mind, favorite Christmas cookie? Sugar snaps. Favorite hair band of the 80s? Banana clip. Place you want to visit but haven't yet? Greece. Movie that made you cry? Pass. Pass. <laughs> I'll say that lots of them do because whether it's happy or sad, I'm a full range emotion kind of person. So easily brought to tears. Fair enough. Book you're most embarrassed to have on your bookshelf? Can't think of one. Really? Okay. <laughs> Pumpkin spice latte or peppermint mocha? Peppers. Oh, the first one. Pumpkin spice? Pumpkin spice. <sighs> just my opinion just went down. <laughs> Packers or Vikings? Oh, I root for the Vikings when the Packers aren't playing. Oh, that's a... <laughs> That's a politically correct answer sure. when you're in the Minnesota National Guard <laughs> and live in Wisconsin. I know. That's why I asked that one. So I'll, I'll ask it again. Packers or Vikings? Come on. I, I, I'm going to give you the same answer. Oh. I root for the Vikings when the Packers aren't playing. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Just for the record, a non-answer. 
Okay, so one-star general in the Minnesota Air National Guard, you're kind of a big deal. Powerful woman. Another powerful woman in history was Eleanor Roosevelt. Do you agree? Yes. So I envision this, you know, leather-bound books and armchairs and a fire in the fireplace, and you and Eleanor Roosevelt are sitting around doing shots of tequila. Mm. Who, which one between the two of you would eat the worm? Eleanor. Mm. Okay. Now, between the, uh, the shots and the salt and the lime, what are some questions you would ask her? Where would you see yourself 50 years in the future? Do you think she would be happy with where we are? I think she would be ecstatic with where we are. Great. Now, that doesn't mean she wouldn't still want to see changes, of but course. I definitely think that she would agree that we have made um, huge headway and that we still have room for improvement. I'll agree with that. That's There's always more work to do. And I think she would agree with that wholeheartedly. There's always more work to do. Um, so you deal with a lot of heavy issues in your job. What makes you laugh? What makes me laugh? Airmen and soldiers and um, seeing the fun things that are happening in their life and of course my own family and I think that there is a lot of things to laugh about on a daily basis and so taking time to get out of the heavy issues and just engage in with people around you so that you do have the ability to think about less stressful things. Do we laugh enough at work? We need to laugh more. I agree. It's tough in uniform sometimes, isn't it? It can be. Yeah. I think that we do, we've created an environment where people can laugh. And that's, I think, part of an inclusive environment where you can be your authentic self. You can talk about the funny things that your kids are doing or the not-so-funny things because sometimes, even in the midst of really hard times, when you find out you're not the only one that's dealing with that, like you and I, I think, have even had conversations about our kids and things that they're doing, and sometimes you're left to think you're the only one dealing with those kind of issues, and you find out, it's just part of parenthood. Mm -hmm. And we all struggle with parenthood at times, don't we? Indeed. It's tough. Like marriage. True. <laughs> but struggles are worth having, right? Absolutely, are, yes. As a, are we having the struggles that are worth having? And, and back to you know, kind of the bigger organization. Not when it comes to the things that we're focusing on as a, a big organization, being a, the military in the state, um, are we... Are we having the struggles that are worth having when it comes to the big issues? And you think about it, just the meeting that we were in yesterday where everybody, we were talking about, are we ready to deploy into our federal mission? But at the same time, we're getting ready for more COVID response and our, our uh, soldiers and airmen that are working for the state right now uh, in all kinds of different missions that they're not used to doing are doing a phenomenal job. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're worried about what the budget is going to look like in the coming years. Uh, same kind of struggles that corporate America has, but mm -hmm. on a different scale um, and with a different span of control. Uh, so many things to focus on means 
you struggle to focus on the right things. Mm -hmm. Do you think we're focusing on the right things? I absolutely think that there's so many things to focus on that we have to prioritize the focus. And I am very proud of the leaders at all levels of our organization, um, to include our adjutant general, to um, engage in these hard conversations, starting with, for both of our wings, our weapon systems to ensure the future of the Minnesota Air National Guard. But beyond that, the things that help us prepare for our federal mission, our state mission, which is training our airmen, recruiting, retention, all of those, and ensuring it's an inclusive environment for the ever-changing types of individuals that we are going to be recruiting into the Minnesota Air National Guard. I think we're um, spot on with the conversations that we're having. They are not easy and we continue need to be challenged by our incoming and younger airmen, which again are strengths of the Minnesota Air National Guard. Great. We work with uh, all kinds of different leaders and everybody that, that struggles with these questions. I mean, it, I lose hair over it, um, and and we all kind of handle that differently. And we're pretty lucky, you and I, to work with so many different, um, diversely skilled leaders nationally and, with, and within our state. So you get to go and influence people across the country, which is great. Who's who's who are some of the people that you run into that you think? they are having the most fun in their job. They're just, they've got that air about them. They're enjoying it. Who are some of the folks that you get a chance to see that in? Oh, that's a great one. I think that um, there's so many people, like right, I'm gonna start right here in our state, that I think the higher you go, the more serious you get about some of these issues because you do lose hair or get gray hair um, over the kinds of issues that we're dealing with. Um, so I think as you're coming up, enjoy every, every moment. But I even think our senior leaders don't have to do this. Many of them are working for other employers. They choose to do this, especially our drill status guardsmen who are um, choosing to do this. So when I look around, I think pretty much everybody who's in our formations, because it's a volunteer force. Mm -hmm. They're here because they want to be here. And we are challenged in this COVID period and virtual time of getting recruits, but our recruiters are up for the challenge and coming up with incredibly unique ways to do it. And I'll give a shout out to Tech Sergeant Sprick at the 133rd doing incredibly um, cool things on the recruiting front. And only because Jeff Sprick is Jeff Sprick, I also need to say he would be the first to say, you don't do that alone, you do that with a team of folks. And so he gives credit to a whole bunch of others across the wing in our state. And that's what I'm gonna do too. Absolutely. So closing it out, what advice would you give? I asked Chaplain Beckwith, um, okay, so he gets a chance to do a survey every Sunday. I'm sorry, a sermon every Sunday. We get a chance to do a survey almost every week, it seems. But uh, write this down. Um, if you were to give advice to people who stand in your footsteps, in your footprints, um, and want to get to where you are, what would you have them write down? I would 
have them write down something that one of my mentors that I, to this day, know helped me become a general officer. And that was that, first of all, you have to believe in yourself and that you have to take chances when somebody taps you on your shoulder and says, hey, what about this? Your tendency can be to say, oh, I don't know if I'm ready for that opportunity. But if somebody else thinks you are, give it a shot and listen and try to get to yes. Unless it goes against your grain, like that's not a job you want, um, I really think that you need to take the challenge and the risk. I also want to quickly share that that mentor told me that men have a tendency to accept greater challenge when they have they've met 70% of their job. Women typically have to master their job 100% before they think they're ready for the next one. And I'm constantly challenging myself to go outside of my comfort zone. And so I specifically want to share that message with the women of our force to really challenge yourself to go outside your comfort zone and accept new opportunities, responsibilities when you're, you're tapped on the shoulder. General Best, thanks for taking the chance to sit down with me on the Nape Wing and give us a little bit brighter picture of uh, who you are and your experiences and how you've uh, come to be where you are and who you are. We appreciate the time. Thank you so much, Chief. Absolutely.